The Apostle Paul was in no doubt of the importance of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Just 20 years after the event, he wrote to the church at Corinth, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is vain. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men the most to be pitied. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead and is alive forever. And there is plenty of evidence for that fact. Numerous attempts have been made in the years since Paul wrote those words to Corinth to disprove that fact. Some years ago, a journalist, an investigative journalist called Morrison, made such an attempt. He set out to write a book carefully examining the scriptural evidence. He was going to prove it was nonsense. When he actually began to write, after he'd finished his research, he entitled the first chapter of the book, The Book That Refused to Be Written. And I have a copy of it here. And it's called, Who Moved the Stone? I expect quite a lot of you will have already read this book. I had a copy on my shelf for a long time. And when I looked for it to prepare this sermon, it wasn't there. Who moved the book? <laughs> I expect we lent it to someone years ago and forgot who we'd lent it to. So I popped into Cornerstone and happily it is still in print and it was reduced by three pounds. So if you want to read that, pop into Cornerstone while they've still got some. It's a wonderful, detailed exposition of all the evidence and Mr. Morrison came to the conclusion that it was all true. He was totally convinced, exactly the opposite of his original view, because the living God had spoken to him through the living word. There's another book I used to have on my shelf as well. It was an American book, uh, and it was by a man called Josh McDowell. You can tell he was American, can't you, from the name. Josh McDowell wrote this, but he'd set off with the same idea that it was all nonsense. His book is called More Than a Carpenter. And you can get that at the Cornerstone as well. <laughs> and that talks about his own personal journey of faith and how he'd watched, as a student, he'd watched other people. He'd had a, a, a sort of what you might call, if you didn't know better, a typical student existence. Uh, and then he noticed that some of the students were a bit different. And they were the ones who were Christians. And eventually... He decided it was all true, but he didn't want it to be true because he didn't want somebody else to run his life. And he struggled for a long time with that, and eventually he gave in, and that's his book. So there's another one. Richard was saying the other week that Christians ought to read three books a year, so there's two for you. <laughs> you can choose the third one yourself. So there we are. Jesus was certainly dead, he suffered deadly wounds, 
his death was certified by experienced Roman executioners. Just to make sure, a spear was thrust into his side and blood and water poured out. To a pathologist, that is convincing proof of death. The blood in the body has begun to coagulate and the watery serum separated. Yet the gospel writer knew no such medical fact when he recorded this eyewitness observation. The body of Jesus was wound in constricting grave clothes with a crushing weight of around 75 pounds of spices. That was the tradition. And he lay in a sealed tomb. Could a person surviving all that creep out and convince his followers that he was the Lord of life and the conqueror of death? And wouldn't he have died at some future time? Would the grave clothes remain exactly as they'd been wrapped around the body, but now empty, as though the body had passed through them? Jesus was certainly dead. And the second fact, the tomb was certainly empty. If the tomb had not been empty, the authorities would have produced the body. And we saw how the legionnaires would be out looking as soon as the rumours of the resurrection started. Instead, they circulated a counter-rumour that the disciples had stolen the body because they knew the tomb was empty. Had it not been, the disciples would have remained in despair. They didn't expect him to rise. Their scepticism is plain to see in all the gospel accounts before. They were not easily convinced, especially Thomas, if you remember him. Had the tomb not been empty, the church would never have been born. A great New Testament scholar, Bishop Westcott, wrote, There is no single historical incident better attested than the resurrection of Christ. And Thomas Arnold, professor of history and later head of rugby school, put it this way. I have been used for many years to study the history of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence. And I know of no fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence than that Christ died and rose from the dead. So those are the facts. But what are the implications? I have only time to mention a few of them. Number one, because Jesus is risen, death is not the end. Centuries of speculation have pondered this problem. What was needed was for someone to come back from the dead and tell us not just revived to die again, as many have, but as conqueror of death itself. Jesus has done just that. The day Jesus rose was the day death died. Number two, because Jesus is risen, Christianity is shown to be true. 
Jesus claimed to be the way to God. He claimed to forgive sins, that he would separate the sheep from the goats. He claimed to be the light of the world, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life. Either he was totally insane or his claims were true. The resurrection of Jesus is God's resounding yes and amen to all the claims of Jesus. Three, because when Jesus is risen, our sins can be forgiven. The New Testament writers agree that the cross means that God has undertaken the vast debt incurred by all the sins of the world. The resurrection was the demonstration that the work of Jesus was finished and complete and that God will forgive all those who come to him trusting in what Jesus has done. We don't need to earn forgiveness. The price is paid. Because Jesus is risen, we can know his presence with us always. That's his promise to his followers. He offers his constant presence and no other security. That is enough. Because Jesus is risen, we can receive from him his power. Paul wrote, I can do anything through him who gives me strength. The very power that God used in raising Jesus is available to us in our weakness and in our temptation. It is a power that has transformed lives throughout history and continues to do so today. None of our temptations or trials is beyond his strength to bear, too small for him to care. And finally, though I don't claim this to be a complete list, because Jesus is risen, we belong to each other. We are part of a community with a purpose. Western society is individualistic. People want to do their own thing. God means us to live in community, depending on him. Once we get in touch with the living Christ, he joins us to his family, the church. He puts us deeply in touch with our brothers and sisters, equips us and uses us. It is with each other that we find fulfilment and love and experience the joy of Easter. We are the Easter people and together we have a gospel to proclaim and a living Lord to follow. Amen.